0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: believe. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanze vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied. Welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Manuel Feit, and it is, it's the end. It's the end. Uh, we somehow stumbled into this winter break, thankfully. Um, not quite Premier League style, we were in the forced winter break. This winter break is definitely planned in, in Germany and I think for both of us, quite necessary, right, Stefan? I'm joined once again, of course, by Stefan Bienkowski. DBienkowski, how's it going, mate?
0: I'm very well, very well. You know, you say it's the end. Is I can't believe it's the it's the end of 2021. Last minute, I turned around oh, the moment and it was, it was like March. It was March 2020. You know, but yeah, things time just seems to be warped at the moment. Um, and yeah, we have kind of this this <laughs> the Bundesliga has kind of stumbled. Over the well, sort of the finish line, it's the halfway line, I suppose, isn't it? Um, yeah. because stadiums are shut, COVID is back on the rise, and as you said, as, while other leagues like the Premier League are struggling to put games together, um, the Bundesliga is just kind of shutting up for the winter. We talked about this last week, we think it's probably for the best, but um, it makes for a very interesting kind of halfway point. Um, you know, mm. I kind of said on I said on Twitter on Sunday night, um, it, if. It, it, these last four or five weeks have felt like silly season. Um, even the best teams in the league, except Bayern in typical fashion, have just kind of... It's almost like they've already got one eye on their Christmas dinner. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's been impossible to predict what's going on week to week. But it's been fun. So uh, we now get to talk about the kind of first half of the se- the season and what maybe to expect after after the new year.
1: Yeah, we'll do this a little bit different than usual, I think, because like there isn't many breaking news other than Omicron. Um and I'm not talking about the transformer, I'm talking about this latest variant and what it's going to do and what it's going not going to do. It's causing a lot of panic, that's for sure. Um, even though it does look like it is the end for this pandemic. Um, most potentially, how much damage it will do before it goes to the end is of course a different question. So please go get your jab so we can just finish this and have stadiums again. Um, if you listen to this, that'd be nice. Thank you very much. But um, briefly, and I think we can keep this really briefly Bayern have been excellent. They have been like a machine operating under very difficult circumstances uh, at certain times. And when they did look like they were going to wobble, they didn't really. And they are very much on course for that 10th Bundesliga title. Um, I think that the, the one time where he could have maybe caught them was at the Clasica. That game didn't go Borussia Dortmund's way. And I think we have to talk probably more about Dortmund and Bayern, Stefan. But I feel like Dortmund have been found out. Um, a lot of the weaknesses that we have sort of seen for a long time. Um, first against Bochum in that draw. Third, of course, just terrible team. We're going to talk to them about them at the end of the podcast. Um had no resistance to offer, but you know, they resolved on the weekend um against Hertha, another not a very good Hertha side. It just laid open all the weaknesses about Dortmund, didn't it? And it's just you can ask about Rose, whether he's at fault or not, and we could probably do an entire show on that, but they're just not strong enough to challenge for the title. I think that's the bottom line, right?
0: Yeah, I think you made a really good point there about how this first half of the season has kind of laid out bare what Dortmund are missing. I think this game in particular, the Hertha game, also did a good job of it, where because Mats Hummels is out, they're having to play this the most makeshift defence known to man. Um, you know, Axel Witzel doesn't even, you could argue he doesn't even have the legs to play midfield, never mind as a makeshift central defender. Um and I think, you know, if that it, if that doesn't make things abundantly clear what Dortmund have to do in the January transfer window, I don't know what will. It's almost frustrating now at this point that all the topics and all the conversations after the match and whether well, it's, you know, if they sit down with Vatska or or whoever. questions are still all about Haaland. Oh, God. You know, your <laughs> your response to Mina Raiola's comments today and what he said last week and blah, blah, blah. Really have to sit down. I think Dortmund to be like, we're not losing these games to Hertha Berlin because, you know... Haaland isn't playing, although he didn't play very well. It's not really because they're not scoring enough goals. It's because uh, they don't literally haven't got enough defenders to put out a proper backline. Uh, but we've talked about this for weeks on end now. Um, I think our, anyone who listens to this podcast has probably had it nailed home to them, unfortunately. They probably think we're repeating ourselves every week. But, um, it, 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 but that, that, I think that's probably a good indication of how their season has been in general. Score two goals, but concede three, you know um two steps forward three steps back and I did have high hopes for Dortmund going into this season I thought um I really thought they could mount a title challenge because mm-hmm. they have so much talent in their team I think two things kind of stood out to me that didn't really work out for them um one is the demise of Mad Hummels which we have spoke about and I think we all no. we've also been I think we've also tried to be fair to him in this podcast by saying look this may not just be the case of a player getting older. It could be a case of a player coming back exhausted from the European Championships, which I think probably is the case to the extent. So he might bounce back. Um, But also just the manner in which Dortmund lost Jadon Sancho and the manner in which Malin took so long to kind of get into the rhythm of things. I don't think Dortmund really expected that to happen. No one thought he was going to step in and become the next Jadon Sancho, but I don't think anyone really thought he would have went, what, 13, 14 games before scoring a goal. Um and you know coupled that with Halland's own injuries, then Dortmund were really laid bare at the front as they have been at the back as well. So um, those, I think, those are the things that have kind of really knocked Dortmund off the off the trail here. But I mean, it's not impossible to think that they might be able, they might get their act together the second half of the season and really push a pressure on Bayern. But uh, I think yeah. they'll have to do some convincing over in in, in January and afterwards.
1: Nine points, I think, is too much. I mean, you, you look at... Them, we look at where they're going to end up. If they get the same point total in the record, that's 68 points. That's just not enough to win a title. Um, so they will have to play better. You can't afford to lose five games in in a half season um, or 10 games overall in a season and expect to win the title. And that's that's that, that's the current pace. And... Um, that's just not good enough. You know, Bayern can afford to lose um, another an additional two games and still win the title in the Rückrunde. You know, I don't. I just don't see it. It's um, just too mechanic for it and too well put together. And I think there is tools there to to beat them, but Dortmund just don't have them. Um, but, you know, they, unfortunately, that means the 10th title in a row. We're going to get a lot of flack from anyone who covers any other league. I, I think the... the the one silver lining that I have is that the Premier League will be probably be over in a couple of weeks as well with City walking away with it, um, pacing okay. away with it in the top three points already. And it's going to be more once the Africa Cup and COVID hits the other teams even more. So I think that's maybe the only silver lining that we have that the Bundesliga is just where every other league is. It's uh, you know very predictable. What's not predictable though, Stefan, and I'm, I'm really, this is maybe where we can have Say like, okay, well, slash Bayern off, done. Slash Dortmund off, done. First and second, that's probably wrapped up. But below that, there's, it's really interesting. You have Freiburg now in third. And that, I think, is uh, people people kind of forget that Freiburg has finished there before. They have finished third before in 94, 95. That was, of course, under Volker Finke. Um, that's when the term Reisgau Brasiliana Was formed. They had uh, national team players in Jens Todd. Cardozo won the goal scoring title as an attacking midfielder. He later played at Hamburg SV. Wonderful player um, that I grew up with. And um, here we are, you know, 27 years later. And they're on course of doing it again. And it's such a small, well run club. It's a team that is always kind of in the top 20 always has been in the top 25 of German teams over that entire stretch and um, are looking firmly to establish themselves even further up with not that many means, but with a lot of creativity. And I feel like in a lot of ways what Christian Streich does at Freiburg as a as a head coach who doesn't have a lot of means, um, but has a lot of creativity and finds these players that other teams often overlook and has a very good youth academy as well. I feel like what Freiburg is doing right now is in a strong counterpoint that we see in almost all the other Bundesliga teams, that they are managed by a creative manager. They find creative ways to put a team together. And while most of the league has lost its way, remember like in 2013 when we had two Champions League finalists, the Bundesliga was probably the most creative league in the world in terms of finding talent and integrating that talent. While well, I would say 90% of the league has lost their way, Freiburg have not. And maybe that is, maybe for Freiburg to reach the Champions League would be a good signal for the rest of the league. What do you think, Stefan?
0: Yeah, I think it'd be a really good feel-good story. Um, you know, I think most neutrals who love the Bundesliga would love to see strike in the Champions League, what, he, what his teams could do in there. Um they would certainly be more use in there than a Wolfsburg or, or yeah, an, RB Leipzig, an RB Leipzig without Nagelsmann or even a Dortmund right now. Um, so no one would uh, deny them that. No one would deny they, de- they deserve it. We were actually just kind of talking off air there that it's quite interesting. The strikes, maybe one of the few coaches in the league who doesn't really play a traditional kind of gag pressing style, you know, which I think a lot of people maybe outside of Germany don't appreciate just how dominant that kind of style of tactics is it's not just it's not just something that Jürgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel and Ralph Ragnick play it's something that's taught at training grounds and academies across the country you know yeah. I, was, I was speaking to Thomas Frank I think or um Hoffenheim captain and, uh, and for a feature I did on Ragnick a few weeks ago and he kind of says when he first came through you know obviously gegenpressing wasn't a thing uh, but now Every single, every single player in the Bundesliga is taught how to do it. That's that's just how they're taught to play football. But I'm just I, I'm not entirely sure Freiburg kind of adhere to that strictly. Um, there's obviously aspects that's quite similar, but it's not. I find they're almost better at kind of playing defensively. They're quite happy to sit back at times. Their stats are really interesting. I did a, I did a newsletter on it a few weeks ago. Uh, actually, it wasn't a few weeks ago. It was almost a month or two ago, because it, it was in the lead-up to the Bayern Munich game. Uh, and the thing that really stands out to me kind of in general, is that their defensive stats are very good for the most part. But actually, when you dig into it, it makes things really interesting. So they've, they've got the joint best defensive record in the league. It's, they've got the exact same goals against as, as Bayern. So, you know, you could argue like, okay, that's where they've built most of their, their uh, success from. But the thing that really stood out to me back then, and this is still the case, um, is that if you kind of look at how many shots they're conceding per match, they've actually got the highest record in the league. So they concede more shots per game than anyone else in the Bundesliga. Um, And then if you kind of narrow that down and you look at, right, well, how many shots are they blocking? Uh, They're maybe fifth or sixth in the league right now. Sixth actually, from what I can tell, in terms of how many shots they block per game. And I think that's really interesting. It kind of goes to show that they actually welcome a huge amount of pressure and they welcome a huge amount of kind of possession from opposing teams. But because they're so well-drilled in defence and they've got great defences like Schlotterbeck or whoever else, they're actually very good at kind of closing down those chances at that moment when a player decides to take a shot and someone's got it covered. Um, and I must admit, I, I kind of I kind of looked at those numbers going into the Barn game and thought, now that's either intentional or it's actually kind of, it's actually showing that underneath the surface this Freiburg defence is actually just waiting to break and they lost 2-1 to Bayern, they then went on to lose to Frankfurt, they lost to Balcom and I thought, right, well, here we go. This is what often happens with these teams. They have a really good run of form, mm. Bayern, Bayern break that, and then their season kind of spirals out of control. And I did wonder if that's what was going to happen to Freiburg. But to their credit, they've bounced back. They beat Gladbach 6-0. Uh, they stole a draw away to Union, Union Berlin, and obviously this Sunday they beat Bayer Leverkusen, who... Going into that game, I actually had the second best away record in the league, so they certainly, you know, they've, they've certainly kind of got that um, desire, and I don't know how to describe it that that that, that morale back, which I think is something that obviously Strike has obviously worked very good at with his squads down the line, um, and they've also got a lot of great individual talented players in that team as well. So I think they, I think they've certainly got enough if they can continue doing what they've done. While all these other teams like Bayer Leverkusen, like Dortmund, like whoever else are just kind of so inconsistent, then there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to finish the top four.
1: It's quite simple. They just have to play the same Rückrunde and they played the Hinrunde, and that's you know around 58 points and 60 points usually gets you in the Champions League, and you know that's, that's crazy talk, but it's not impossible. I think for me, the obviously the result that stood out and um, was the one against Gladbach the the 6-0 that could have been easily double digits if if Streich wasn't the gentleman he was and had kept playing football. Um, I'm pretty sure at halftime he said to his boys, look, obviously they're devastated. Let's keep it below double digits. Um, Let's be fair here. And that's the kind of person he is, you know, and hopefully it doesn't come back to haunt him by missing out the Champions League by a few goals at the end of the season. But um, yeah, you, you, you look at that and the defensive record stands out for me, but just the, the ability to the way they find the, the way they always find a way to find talents. Um, you know, like we talked about Kevin Shada a little bit um, before the podcast, a player who looks really interesting. Um, I think he broke the, the speed record. Um, I had, a, at some point, the Davies' speed record this season, and he looks like, you know, another one of these talents that they just keep finding. They keep finding these players, and they keep finding them all over the world, and in but also in Baden-Württemberg, um, where they're playing, or in baden right? And I think that's just so very remarkable and um, hopefully something that gets rewarded. You know, there's another team. And I mean, Bayer Leverkusen, I I think personally, Bayer Leverkusen will be there at the end of the season of the traditional top four teams, Um, although they have been up and down as well. They've probably been the more consistent. And we'll get to talk about Leipzig, who I actually consider a traditional top four team as well. Um, In a moment, because they're not in the Champions League conversation right now. But um, because we talk so much about Leverkusen, I'm going to skip over them. And we're going to talk about Hoffenheim instead, Stefan, because we never talk about them at all. (laughs) And they're quietly in fifth place on even points with Leverkusen. And, you know, there's another team that that sneakily, under Sebastian Hoeneß, who has done, I think, personally, think, very good work, um, again, with a team. Yes, they're owned by SAP. Yes, Dietmar Hopp is the rich billionaire owner. But, you know, it is still a model that's very similar to Freiburg and that that it's supposed to be self-sustainable, right? Um, it's supposed to be a self-sustainable club. And, yeah, secretly, quietly, they have snuck their way up there. And, you know, a um, little lucky to get the point against Gladbach this weekend, I felt. You know, Gladbach actually looked like they were finally going to get a win under Adi Hütter. Um, but you know what? This is another team where you just say, okay, look, um, with very few resources, they have put together quietly a very good team. And um, you just kind of, again, like similar to Freiburg, you almost hope it gets rewarded, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, they've, 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 they've just got a system that works well. You know, they've obviously got Kramrich, who's. I mean, you look at across the top five leagues in Europe and I think you'd probably struggle to find a struggle to really find a player who's as consistent in terms of creating and scoring goals as him. Uh Bebu's obviously a great goal scorer. Dabour has always been that kind of really impressive number nine who can hold the ball up, play other players in and score as well. But then you've kind of got younger players, like you've obviously got Baumgartner, you've got Rutter, um it's, it's just it's just a quite exciting team. But as you say, they've kind of flown under the radar. And th- this is kind of just the nature of the Bundesliga right now, where you can kind of put together a run of decent form and all of a sudden you're, you're in third place. But yeah, I think Sebastian Honez is kind of, a, I think in terms of head coaches in the league who have a reputation, I think he actually flies under the radar quite a lot. Yeah, uh, it's actually... Which
1: is surprising given his last name
0: yeah well yeah
1: exactly (laughs)
0: um i think i had i had a colleague actually asked me to put together a list of like who i thought were the top rated coaches in the league right now um and along with thinking god you know this list isn't as impressive as it may have been three or four years ago i actually thought honus is actually probably in the top five or six right now Mm
1: -hmm. um
0: you know alongside us fencing for example another player another head coach who maybe outside of germany a lot of people don't know about so yeah, there's a lot going on there. It's really impressive. They've actually got some of the best attacking stats in the league right now. Uh, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, what would happen if Crammer was to pick up a really big injury. Not that I would hope for that at all by any means, but I do wonder how much the team kind of relies on him at times. Um, but, no, yeah. I mean, there's, i got nothing nothing bad to say about them. Obviously, they had huge success um, in previous years, obviously, under Rangnick and then after Nagelsmann and... I think if you speak to people at the club they'll tell you that the club even though Rangnick obviously left and there's all that said and done about Luis Gustavo being sold etc yeah. etc um, the club have still kind of stuck around and kept using that template and that formula and, it's, and it still works wonders because as you say the team's full of exciting young players uh, and quality mm. Bundesliga players
1: and of course one of the we have a lot of listeners from the United States and they're obviously keeping an eye on this club because Chris Richards plays there right and um shows you that Hoeneß who and has of course worked with Bayern Munich too and he's brought in a lot of these guys Richards is one uh Stiller is another one right and Mm -hmm. um and he did a fantastic job with Bayern Munich, too, and had a real philosophy, field football playing philosophy. And he's, he's kind of been able to install that in Hoffenheim, too. And, you know, look, Hoffenheim is a stepping stone club. That's what they are. They have very much adhered to this principle of being similar to Freiburg, really very much more like Freiburg. So all these players are there because they want to be seen. And um, Hoffenheim, of course, have been in the Champions League before. And, um, you know, for them to, to even finish near the top four means for all these guys, whether it's Richards, whether it's Posh, Geiger, Stiller, you know, Raum is another one who's a German national team player already. They, that's a shopping window for them. And they are very much in acceptance with that. And, you know, an argument can be made that we have made many of those teams in Germany. But if, if you are like Freiburg and Hoffenheim, And you run that successfully, you know, it's hard to argue against it. Um, Another team that comes to mind when we talk about this, and this is a club where I think, and we kind of alluded to that last week already, Stefan, this is Eintracht Frankfurt, right? Who, again, um, quietly, they are within the reach, one point of a Champions League spot. probably, and this is this is going to be a nice segue into that topic because it is an interesting topic and I think we will have to chat about it as we reach the lower reaches of this league, are probably the only team other than Bayern Munich that have made a successful coaching change in the summer. And um, I find that interesting because they were forced into that coaching change because Dortmund's head coach, Marco Rosa, of course, he triggered this wave of coaching changes. I, I take Nagelsmann out of, Martian Nagelsmann out of this conversation because that's his own story almost, right? Mm-hmm. But Rose triggered it, he goes to Dortmund. Um, Hütter then replaces him at Gladbach. And then um, Frankfurt have to replace Hütter and they go to Glasner and Wolfsburg. Of course, they wanted to do this anyways, went to Bommel. And you look at all these clubs and I include Dortmund in this and they're all of worse, right? But Frankfurt are not. And it's almost like they were given the coach that they needed anyways to sort of evolutionize, not revolutionize, but evolutionize mm. what Hütter has done there over the years. And it seems like, you know, they still play a very creative style of football. Um, it's still that 3-4-3 three three power football. It's a lo- it seems a little bit cleaner than it was under Hütte, um, if that's the right way of putting it. And you know, a lot of people really were when Bobic, went to Hertha, of course, when he left because Krusche came in and he didn't really have that reputation of having all these inter, big international contacts. But he comes in and he brings in Jens Peter Hauge, Jesper Lindström, right? Raphael Borre from as a free mm. transfer from uh, River Plate. And Raphael Borre could have gone to many places because he was a free transfer, right? And mm. um, none of these guys have scored a lot of goals, but they're all scoring. And Philip oh. Kostic is still doing Philip Kostic's thing, so it doesn't really matter who's in the middle of the box, someone is gonna get a fantastic cross and put it in, right? And it's it's made for a really good team, despite losing Andre Silva. They've kind of kind of caught it with a collective. And Glasner is very much the architect of it. And I always say that, and we said this last week, and I've said it many times before, Frankfurt are a sleeping giant, they only won oh. Champions League appearance away from making that step from oh we always have to sell our best players to actually now we can keep some of them right yeah
0: yeah you know i think if there's one team in this Bundesliga who probably didn't want to end (laughs) didn't want to pause the league it would have been frankfurt because they just seem to be in the ascendancy right now Uh, and you kind of stole the words from my mouth actually i was going to make the point that if you kind of look at the results over the last six seven weeks and how they've kind of turned their form around it's no coincidence that coincides with the form of Lindstrom and Bora. You know, Bora in the last four games has picked up two assists and three, two, two goals and three assists. Lindstrom's came along and he's picked up three goals and two assists. Um, you know, so the, they were never really bad. You know, if you kind of look at the results, even though even though they were maybe dropping points, um, they were still doing okay in terms of you know picking up draws. Not the end of the world. There was still, you know, obviously one point per week isn't going to really do you very well. I mean, their first, what, seven games, I think they drew six of them. Um, so obviously they're not going to get very far in that regard, but it, it didn't mean they weren't losing. And I guess that kind of showed that there was a kind of, there was still a structure there to kind of build on. And it has felt in the last month or maybe six weeks, these young these new players have came in, they've kind of finally settled. They kind of know what they're doing and it feels like Frankfurt are kind of really properly playing the way they're supposed to be playing now, um, mm. and that's to gla- and that's to Glasner's credit because idiots like me were saying like a month ago, well, you know, things going to work out for them. Who knows what's going to happen with them? Uh, but right now they're looking fantastic form. I mean, yeah. the scary thing or the worrying thing for us, if I'm a Frankfurt fan is. You know, do people put their feet up now over the winter break? someone have a little too much Christmas ham? And then they come back and play Dortmund (laughs) and get spanked. And then it's back to kind of how they started the season uh, with a defeat to Dortmund and then some terrible reform. And then all of a sudden they're back in the bottom half of the season. That would be my only concern. But it does feel as though Glaston's kind of turned a corner here and he kind of knows his best players. He knows how to get the best out of the players they brought in this summer. So it's definitely looking up um and they've also got that Europa League campaign as well which seems to be going okay as well so
1: and they love the Europa League (laughs) that club is built for the Europa League you know like they were one penalty spot away from and I'm going to be say this snippishly winning the Europa League because they would have batted Arsenal in that final you know like absolutely German teams just love destroying Arsenal um that's just the reality of things so you know köln won against arsenal that's enough said um <laughs> you know and that's that's a good transition i find because like yeah i frankfurt i i think i i really want to see them in the champions league that that club is built for that competition because they do so well in europe they love playing in europe and Hopefully, uh, it, it, the news is just now that we're probably going to start the Rückrunde without fans and stadiums because of um, the variant. But hopefully, we'll through, get through this as quickly as possible and that we have fans and normality back next year. And it'd be great to have them in the Champions League. Um, I think we all want to see that. I think we're just all tired of seeing empty stadiums at this point. Um want to talk a little bit about that middle of the pack. And... Yes, Union Berlin. I think they're also in in the Europa League Champions League conversation. They're always going to be such a well-run, put-together club. And um, I feel like that deserves a segment in itself. And when you look at the middle pack in general, um, you have some teams that are very obvious in there. I mean, we all think Köln would probably be happy if they finished the season at 8th. Union would be happy if they finished the season in 7th. And Mainz would be happy in ninth. Mm. Um, same with Bochum, Bochum in 12 and I think actually of did Bochum have done much better than I thought and they very much look like a team that is going to probably stay in the league and that's that's great for them but then we have Leipzig, Wolfsburg, Gladbach and do, I feel do, like
0: do you know you've missed out there if you missed it Hertha Berlin who I think would be happy to finish right. 11th as things are
1: <laughs> things are but also considering how much they spend hmm.
0: yeah of course yeah but i mean they were fight. they were they, i think the way things are at that club i think they'd just be happy to stay in the league for another season that's how bad it is but
1: yeah i guess brobridge would probably argue like oh look we finished like in the top half or like we had nothing to do with relegation so that's a success that's something we can build on you're probably quite right i mean that's probably how they would sell it and hmm. probably how it's going to end up for them and then they have another year where they're going to do a lot of things and going to end up in the same mediocre middle of the table place. Um, that cause that's what Hertha are. Um, but I do think this is a good time to talk about the elephant in the room. That is this Bundesliga year. And while it has been exciting, and it has been some positive stories, a lot of negative stories and a lot of it is to do to COVID, but we have, um three teams with significant budgets at positions in the table mm. where they shouldn't be
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i want to start with leipzig who have brought in jesse marsh and that just didn't work out for whatever reason um i think it was Derek where wrote wrote um right person for the right job at the wrong time. And I actually would probably agree with that sentiment that Jesse Marsh, and we all thought he was the logical choice to succeed uh, Julian Nagelsmann, but because of where he came from and what he meant for this organization in terms of his Red Bull past, but because the club was in a different place and maybe it was in a place of upheaval and maybe not with enough support in in terms of a sporting director. It just wasn't a place where he could be who he is. And that happens. Um, I think that's quite normal. I think what happened next is what I find extremely frustrating, Stefan, and that is this appointment of Domenico to Tesco. Um. Because, and you already see it with the result um, this weekend, you know, where they lost in a game that they should be winning. Um, that's just. I just don't know. I just don't think Tedesco is the right man for this job. And mm. I don't mean that because Tedesco is not a good coach. I actually think that he's that he has the potential to be a very good coach. Still very young. And, you know, he he did get the results. Um, he did get the results at his previous club at, at Erzgebirge Aue and in his first season with, with Schalke as well. But you cannot come into your new job, win the first game, and then lose 2-0 to Bielefeld, who I think will go down this year. And um, as great of a story that is for the Bundesliga, I just don't, I just think it's a lack of creativity. And we've seen a lot of that this year when it comes to coaching appointments. Right. And Leipzig should be this club that heralded itself as this institution where we're going to do things differently until we're not. And that's, I think, where they are right now. I think they're a little bit in in an existential crisis, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good way of describing it, actually. I think, yeah, I I mean, we've spoke with us in previous episodes like last week and the week before about the lack of imagination Bundesliga clubs have shown and who they pick as head coaches and how... In the summer, they basically all just decided to swap head coaches and see if that worked rather than maybe look elsewhere. And even Jesse Marsh, to an extent, wasn't an ambitious uh, decision. It wasn't a decision made outside the box. Uh, He was within the Red Bull facilities. He was within the Red Bull group. uh, And he'd been tailor-made to kind of slot into a Red Bull club at some point. So. All due respect to him, and as you say, I think he seems like a perfectly good coach, but and I'm sure he'll bounce back. But he, even he was a safe option, it just didn't work out. I think with Tedesco, they've obviously gone for a head coach where they thought it's almost like a panic decision where they thought we have to get a guy who can set up a defense properly, who can stop us losing games, um, first and foremost. And you know what, like he's now got the winter break to kind of work with that team, and I think he will, and I think. I don't think we're going to see results like the Baileyfield one in a sense. I think he just hasn't had enough time to really make his impact on the squad and sure he will when the season turns around. But even then, uh, if he is going to be this kind of defensive first head coach going into the second half of the season and, and, and then onwards with this squad that have been playing quite attacking football for the last two or three seasons under Nagelsmann, it's a huge transition. And it remains to be seen whether, if it works as in it stabilises things, whether that's actually a viable long-term solution for RB Leipzig, because if you're talking about a club who wants to go on to challenge for league titles and go on to do things in Europe, then, you know, you only have to look at the teams in Champions League who, I mean, if, of all the teams who are really pushing for Champions League and all the teams are outperforming, maybe their finances, I don't think you're, I think you'd struggle to find one who'd do that with defensive tactics right now. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the shelf life is on Tedesco at RB Leipzig. It seems to be like you know, a panic decision to try and bring in a defensive coach when the previous attacking one didn't really work out. But we'll mm. need to see. We'll have to see because that, that things can get messy there if Tedesco doesn't work out because then you're, too, you're talking about a club with a lot of money spent on it, a huge amount of money spent on wages. Uh, and You're going to have a lot of unhappy players there if they're still in the bottom half of the season come February or March.
1: Yeah, the club is built for Champions League football, right? And um, I think the entire model very much hinges on them reaching a top four spot. And, you know, it's not impossible. It's, it's six points. Um, the way the Bundesliga is, we all know that that you can you can make that up. Um, and they, they should. Um, with the squad that they have, you know, a couple, like a consistent round of results, three, four wins in a row, and you're there um because none of these other top teams uh, in that ahead of them are be able to do the same thing And um that's a lot of pressure for Tedesco because I think he pretty much has to reach top four spot with the squad cool. you have to everything hinges on it but it's it's what I find really interesting about it um being familiar with how Leipzig is structured and the way it is put together um is with Evel of course you have, someone operating sort of as a sporting director and, um, people who I talk to really praise him highly. And I do think his player identification, um, is very good. Um, then of, top, of course you have Oliver Mintzloff who is supposed to be the CEO. So there's a gaping hole between those two though, in terms mm-hmm. of a lack of a sporting director, someone who actually, there's a Ralph rangnick sized hole as on the position of a sporting director when you when you really think about it, right? And someone who gives this club an operational directive. And I feel like that's very much missing at the moment. You always had someone in Rangnik that would give who come out of the woodworks when there was like a result or two that wasn't going their direction, who would just hammer everyone and then you know the results will go back because everyone got an ass whooping by by Ralph. That's missing. It's not there and they need to spend um, the winter break and get in a sporting director who can give them sort of a shape again something that they can follow as a club admitted that's Michael Edwards who's been rumored um, a long time and yes Leipzig have denied that look I've worked with Leipzig as a club for many many years they denied everything Uh, whether it was Caden Clark signing for them whether it was Nangasman coming there you know like whether it was Werner leaving the club, they deny everything until the day it actually happens. So I wouldn't (laughs) put too much attention into that. Um, It's very much a team where you have to read between the lines. So I I don't think this Michael Edwards story is dead until he signs somewhere else. And I think that would probably be the creative signing that we are all craving for this league. Um, So, yeah, maybe they're going to fill that void somehow, you know. And Leipzig is, of course, the club that stands out. But, you know, we do need to talk about Wolfsburg and Gladbach. And Wolfsburg is another one of those teams that are very similar to Leipzig. They are a club owned and operated by Volkswagen, the world's largest car company, right? And with a budget that equals that of Atletico Madrid. And the results are just... The Bayern game um, on Friday... It was like they were not on the field, hmm. you know, that Florian Kofeld and I respect Lutz Funspiel a lot and you know that I know him quite well and he said like he's a coach who needs his time and it's funny because I actually I phoned him afterwards and talked to him a bit about that and, and I talked to a couple other people that that know Florian Kofeld quite well and they're like okay I mean maybe we need to give him some time but he's the big but Stefan Florian Klofeld has never shown that he has a plan B. Mm. So is what we're going to get right now from him, is that it? And is that enough to run and operate a club like Wolfsburg and meet the high standards that are laid out by the world's largest car company that very heavily make have made Vol- Vol- Wolfsburg a part of the brand? Mm-hmm. Volkswagen don't finish second, you know, they want to finish first. And is a coach like Cofield enough to represent a brand? I personally don't think so. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a huge issue and this is the, 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 they alongside Gladbach who are obviously right beside them in the league table. And I think this is kind of what we're seeing. This is kind of what I mentioned last week when we talked about the kind of hidden impact of COVID and the hidden impact of what's happened this season and the last 12 or 18 months is having on some of the bigger clubs in the Bundesliga Um yeah and I, I did think those were really interesting comments from the obviously the sport director basically saying you know this isn't Cofield's fault for what six, seven runs of defeats in a row it's mm-hmm. not his fault that he's got this team and he's got these players it's a perfectly good team it's a perfectly good squad um, it does feel like
1: great squad when you look yeah, at it actually
0: yeah Wolfsburg Gladbach Leipzig whoever else these teams, these clubs, look like they're clinging on for dear life, waiting for a break to kind of fix things behind the scenes. Um, whether that's financial or whether it's sporting, I think remains to be seen. I think with Wolfsburg, it's a sporting issue. I think with Gladbach, it could be a financial issue. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, and, it's, and it's not just Hooter in terms of you know the clubs what spent like seven million euros signing them. They probably don't have that right now to sack him, um, but they've also got a lot of key players who need contract renewals but they can't afford to give them to them. And with Wolfsburg, it's probably not so much the case because obviously they do have backing from Volkswagen, although that backing has kind of come and gone in years. You know, sometimes, especially after the whole Dieselgate thing, the the the, 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 the taps just got turned off for a couple of years in terms of funding. So we have seen Wolfsburg's kind of player contract and their their, 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 their revenue kind of, change quite dramatically from one year to the next. But I don't think that's the case this season. Um and they do have yeah. the squad. But it, it again, it just kind of it is just it's just this kind of almost like this um I don't know, it's just a struggle. It's really interesting. I think you kind of look at that mid if you look at that kind of middle of the table from like so seventh all the way down to fifteenth, you have a number of teams who are doing very well. You obviously got Union, you got Cologne Mainz, okay, maybe they're just where they should be. And then obviously Bochum are doing very well to be 12th. Yeah. now. And the interesting thing to me is we'll find out in May whether those three or four clubs are doing particularly well off the back of their own form, or it's because two, three or four of the biggest teams in the Bundesliga have just completely broken apart this season. Uh, Leipzig, Wolfsburg, Gladbach, that should be second, third and fourth. Or uh, obviously third, fourth, and fifth under behind Dortmund, possibly uh, with maybe Leverkusen in there, Frankfurt, whoever else you want to. You can argue about it. So that's that's a huge, it's a huge kind of. It's, it feels like almost like a glacier, or like a big chunk of ice is just kind of chipped away off a glacier, and it's just mm-hmm. fallen into the North Sea or whatever. That's or the, the 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 Atlantic Ocean. That's what it feels like to me with these three teams down there, and everything else in the league is just kind of floated around it. So. There's a lot going on at Wolfsburg, there's a lot going on at Gladbach, and there's a lot going on at Leipzig. There'll be fireworks if things don't get fixed quickly, but those three clubs will be so happy that they've got this winter break now to try and fix things, because all three of them, I think, are in huge trouble, and they've got a lot to fix over the winter break.
1: They do have a lot to fix, and the problem, of course, is, and we'll have to see if that actually holds true, right, because of the way COVID is developing, but you only have till January 7th. That winter break used to be a lot longer uh, in Germany, and... Again, and actually might turn out to be longer. We don't know what's awaiting us in January, February with Omicron. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But there isn't much time to fix. And um, Gladbach is an interesting one for me too. I feel like they signed Adi Hütter because, you know, you look at his lineups and the way he plays football. At the first glance, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, that works. And then you realize, oh, no, but... The entire attacking line is completely not built for his style of football mm. and um then you realize oh man maybe he's like positionally when you look at it it's like three for three okay yeah that works but then you look at oh but if frankfurt he always has a typical number nine always had a typical number nine and he doesn't have that here and you take a little bit of a closer look and you realize oh my god this ty- team is actually not built for him at all And he's doing all sorts of things to move things around and you know a really big part too is and you kind of alluded to it as well is the fact that you have in uh, Matthias Ginter and uh, Dennis Zakaria you have two players who are out of contract at the end of the season and Mm. all indication at the moment is that they're not going to renew Um, Ginter has all sorts of offers from all sorts of clubs mainly from the Premier League right and um, I wouldn't even be surprised if Dortmund just snap him back up and bring him back because he, he would actually be a solution for them in many ways. And Zacharia is looking like he's going to Dortmund. Um, you know, that the, the talks are pretty far advanced and probably to replace Axel Witzel. So that, that actually creates a lot of unrest in your squad. And um, I think that is where a lot of their problems are. I want to talk, before we we wrap it up, about the relegation. Um, Augsburg, Stuttgart, Bielefeld, Fürth, I think are the clubs in danger. Gladbach, of course, they're down there. Wolfsburg, of course, are down there. Uh, I think those two teams will be eventually fine. Um, I don't want to say because they have too much quality. That's always dangerous, Um, but they do. Bochum could probably slip down there as well. Hertha, always a candidate, but I don't think it's so... I think Bielefeld and Fürth have pretty much wrapped up relegation. Stuttgart... Um, for me, Stuttgart is a bit of a special case because so many injuries mm. in the Hinrunde. And that's brutal. And I do think the quality statement actually holds true for them. Um, unlike the other teams, you know, they actually, I think Pelikino Matarazzo will find a way to keep them out of there. Um, third five points out of 17 games. We kind of alluded that to that last week. A big one of the big problems in the Bundesliga is that there is too many thirds: Augsburgs, Bielefelds in this league. And you look down to Bundesliga two, and the standings, and you just—we kind of really have to hope that one of the big clubs come up right at this point, just mm. to just to make this league a bit more creative, because I. I you know, third deserve being in the Bundesliga based on the season that they had in in the second division, but they just don't have the financial means to survive in the top flight, and they never will. You know, they have a stadium that's like the size of Unterhaching's and um, with seventeen thousand seats, and it's it's gorgeous, it's cute, and all that. But for them, they, they for them playing in the Bundesliga is like for someone like I don't know Union Berlin to play in the Champions League, and you just you just hope when I look at the Bundesliga two standings and HSV and Schalke are in third and fourth very much trending in the right direction. I think everyone in the headquarters in Frankfurt at the DFL office are probably praying right now that those two clubs are coming back, right, Stefan?
0: Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, I can never kind of deny St. Pauli the opportunity to move into the top uh, tier, but yeah, in terms of kind of getting the crowds back, in terms of the, kind of the prestige of the league and things, also... I feel like Hamburg have have done their penance. I feel like they've done their, <laughs> you know. Now nah, I'm sure Hamburg fans would say, "Look, we've been a mess," and they have <laughs> yeah. been. And they, every season, they do seem to find some new way to make a mess of things. But I miss Hamburg. You know, I do. I miss having Hamburg in the Bundesliga. Uh, I know they were a bit of a mess when they were in it, but. You, you do kind of hope when these clubs go down, unless you're a St. Pauli fan or a Werder Bremen fan, you do kind of hope that they kind of learn a lesson, they kind of restart and they come back even stronger. And I do feel like that. I feel that like with Hamburg. I feel that like with uh, Schalke. And I feel that like with Werder Bremen. Uh, I'd love to have all three of them back in the league. They're all, league, they're all clubs with huge history and huge fandoms, mm-hmm. outside of, even outside of Germany as well. Um, and... Yeah, it'd be great if... like I mean, I haven't been following this vibe this league as much as, obviously, the top tier this season, but it would be great to see those three clubs kind of pushing back towards... Uh, even Nuremberg as well. I'd love to see them back in the league as well. Um, yeah. It'd be great to see those clubs kind of pushing back towards it and then, you know, obviously replacing the two teams who are almost certainly going to go down. Uh, but, you know, we might have a really fun kind of Schalke versus Augsburg or Schalke versus Stuttgart Uh playoff which would be fun as well so yeah it's it's really exciting to see what happens in the second half of the season that's for sure
1: yeah i hope so i mean unfortunately i think we won't have much of a of a table uh the meisterschaft championship um at the top of the table um discussion i think bayern munich have pretty much wrapped it up which is unfortunate as as a conversation in itself at some point but i think everything else is is wide open and it's going to be in those terms, it's going to be interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see who comes up from on, from the second Bundesliga. And um, I've been watching my team, 1860, in the background here, uh, Stefan, and they're giving me an early Christmas present. They're currently winning 3-0 against uh, Würzburger Kickers, mm-hmm. um, which means they are just seven points behind a promotion spot. You know, that sounds like a lot in the, uh, when you think about it, but in the dritte Liga, that's nothing at all. So... Um, And the Dritte Liga is actually another one of those symptoms of German football where you you have, you know, you have um, Kaiserslautern down there, you have 1860 down there, um, Magdeburg who have won a European Cup um, down there. So, yeah, maybe some of those teams can actually find their way further up the table and um, hopefully make the Bundesliga a bit more attractive again get rid of some of these smaller clubs that are probably better off in the second division. And I don't mean this with any disrespect, but um, I think we all want a most competitive full stadiums and all that. So here's my Christmas wish list before I think we wrap it up. I wish for Christmas that we all get through Omicron, this Omicron wave quickly and safely and healthy that um, this is the end of this stupid pandemic And we're going to have people back in stadiums, even if it's not for the beginning of the Rückrunde, but at some point. And that we are going to have Hamburg and Schalke back in the Bundesliga, that'd be nice. And that maybe when this COVID is over, uh, we can actually have a competitive league once again. I think that's my Christmas wish list. <laughs> um, starting with first and foremost, please um, this let let this be the last wave because I don't think I think we're all on our last on our last edge here. Like I don't think we can do much more of it. And I know that Omicron doesn't care whether we are tired of restrictions or not, but we are tired. Um, so that's my Christmas wish list. I don't know if you have any additions to your Christmas wish list, Stefan, for for in general or in the Bundesliga. Uh,
0: off the top of my head. I can think of two. Number one, I hope Florian Virts continues being amazing at football. I've thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> watching him this season. And I'm yes. devilishly excited to see what kind of a player he will become. And the second one is I just hope Dortmund sign on our central defender so they can actually <laughs> get their get their SHIT in order uh, and put on a chauffeurs for the rest of the season. Uh, I'll 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 leave it there. I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite good. So like, that's our last show for this year. Uh, we're going to be back after the winter break. Um, so thank you everyone for listening in 2021. Really appreciate it. Um, we love you guys. Please stay healthy wherever you are, and uh, we'll be back with new content in the new year. Um, hopefully, also be back in stadiums and. Ja, yeah, um, whatever you celebrate over the season, you know, um, there's lots of holidays and various um, things that get celebrated. I, I wish everyone happy holidays and of course a happy new year. So until next year, einen guten Rutsch und auf Wiedersehen. <musik>